<laughs> First of all, I'm, I'm turning my fucking mic on because I, I want the audience to hear you fucking shaming me for my choice in protein powder. <laughs> a, chocolate protein powder, I, I've recently come around on. I was I used to be a vanilla man, uh, both in... <laughs> Both in flavor and in love. Uh, I was gonna say, <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, but I guess not. No, he's not. Which you know, first of all, second of all, uh, there's nothing wrong with putting ice in your protein powder. Uh, yes, there is. It's disgusting. I mean, protein powder is disgusting anyway. They all taste like shit. But I mean, in this case, it just tastes like chocolate milk with ice in it. You know, I, I'm a fancy hoe. <laughs> mm, water milk. Wow, you know, wait till you find out that it's actually uh, it's actually lactose free. So you know, I'm just batting a thousand on this shit. Anyway, that's my way of saying right. if you hear if you hear any jingling in the background, it is not the undying love of Santa Claus and the merriness of the season, but it's the ice in my protein powder. whatever I, I look you know again so since we're, we're airing grievances in this holiday season although i guess it's still it's not it's not even thanksgiving yet but so i'm gonna just keep airing my fucking grievances because why the fuck not it's, you know it's it's at least one third my show maybe uh two thirds if we're going by girth uh <laughs> no. not height though obviously um <laughs> yeah neat. i mean if we go by height then it's like you know seven eighths my show because both y'all niggas are tiny I don't think an ass niggas. Oh, how short? How short is Richard? I thought Richard was my height or taller. I think it comes up to like my chest. Ah, uh, yeah. I was just gonna <laughs> let you think that. You know, <laughs> frankly, look, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot real quick. In in reality, uh, height is much like capitalism in that it's a very sadomasochistic system. It requires you to have deference for those above you and complete disdain for those below you. Uh, in reality, we should be abolishing the height-based hierarchy of uh, sexual attractiveness <laughs> and judging me, but only really for me. I don't care. I, I, basically, everyone taller than me is a fucking giraffe and everyone shorter than me is, 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 some, is a child. You're already but, uh, child-sized. No, I judge based on myself. I am, I am of average musculature and of average height. But, but anyway, anyway, anyway. Like I, I don't want to be accused. There's a lot of there's a lot of a uh, sauce on the left when it comes to accusations of racism. So I don't want to be accused of being cavalier with the way I I toss around the word uh, racist. But I would say that racism in 2019 is typified by both uh, boot edge edge and Warren doing some fucked up shit the morning after we recorded and had talked about them briefly <laughs> you weren't here for this one of theirs so i guess it, it's a good enough reason to revisit both of them but you know richard and i talked about boot at edge and warren and basically did a quick recap of the where we were primary wise which is, hasn't done much since the last time we talked about it you know there, there's been some movement in the polls i don't care about the polls but like the morning after that happens the morning after that conversation happened, rather, uh, Boot Edge Edge, I hate saying it like that. This sounds fucking wrong. Bootagag <laughs> and uh, Warren both did some pretty weird, fucked up shit. 
but I let's talk about the Budagek thing first because it's, it's really weird. So did you hear about how he faked having 400 black endorsements because he sent out an email at like 2 a.m. in the morning to people in South Carolina who had expressed interest in his dumbass Frederick Douglass anti-racism plan? And like they had to opt out in order to avoid being an endorsement, like being an endorsement, like him listing them as an endorsement on his fucking web page. Yeah, uh, that's clever. That's clever. The opt out endorsement, <laughs> like where you all implicitly endorse me unless you, you know, explicitly tell me otherwise. I mean, I feel like more politicians should have utilized that sooner. But go ahead. Real, real quick, though, just before, uh, since we're talking about primary choices, I do have to commend Sanders for doing something I didn't think anybody in the U in the political spectrum were doing the U.S. and recognize that what happened in Bolivia was a coup. He's sounding better on foreign policy i have to give him points there because i've definitely got on his ass more virulently than anybody else i think on this show and like everybody but like a handful of people that i follow on twitter so just wanted wanted to throw that out there yeah i mean he is doing better i think that you're right in that certain aspects of his foreign policy specifically like less latin america because he's always at least in the 80s he had like this history of you know being essentially you know pro sandinista not just because they share the first syllable of his last name uh you know which people have gotten on him before in the past like yeah, yeah uh we, we were kind of the bad guys in that one <laughs> um no offense though to your sense your sensitive sensibilities but like it was only really recently, and by recently I mean the past two decades, but he's been doing this for a long time, that he's kind of trended more towards the uh, bipartisan like foreign policy consensus. But, you know, since 2016, he's been doing better. I think, and I think with the foreign policy thing, he sees it as a way to rightfully so distance himself from the rest of his opponents, right? I think you're, you're, you laid out correctly when you say he's the only one who has called it a coup? Warren came out and with a milk toast statement. Everyone else is either not saying anything. I, I I will say Tulsi Gabbard probably also called it a coup. That's one of the things that she does do. Uh, doesn't make a difference to me. But credit where credit is due. Anyone who's willing to call it a coup deserves some kind of credit. But you know he's been pretty good on the foreign policy front when it comes to Latin America recently. Uh, Maduro was kind of up in the air for a little bit with him, but he landed on the right, sort of on the right step there. Bolivia, he came out quickly. Uh, I think people have been a little bit more uh, iffy about his relationship and his sort of commitment to working uh, towards the Israel-Palestine situation. But you know, again, I think he's doing better on that front as well. But what were you going to say about your primary choices? Sorry, chewing gum. Don't have anybody that I feel particularly comfortable engaging with. And I think shenanigans like this, right, that we saw with the mayor of in uh, some fucking town in Indianapolis, Indiana, rather, it really kind of codifies that, right? Because first he's like, I don't need your vote in, when talking to black people. And now he's like, look at all these black people who like me after also saying every black person ever in the South is homophobic. So, you know, it just ends up being a series of you want to call them miscues, but it's just racism, right? Like, it's not a miscue. It's not an accident. His campaign is doing this shit on purpose. And his campaign's not the only one. You you know, I'm not even going to bother mentioning anybody polling under 10%, which is, you know, usually a pretty good uh, bar to set. So you end up looking at people like Warren and you look at people like Biden who have long histories of shitty racist things and they're going to continue popping up in the primary. So, you know, it just it's good to see it. It's good to recognize it. It's good to call it out. But at the same time, you know, if anybody's surprised by this, you clearly are like you must just be tuning into American politics or just now actively paying attention to what's being said. 
I think I gotta disagree with you a little bit on this one. Not that people aren't shitty towards like the black vote traditionally, Democratic Party traditionally. I, I made the joke on Twitter that like he's kind of just jumping the middleman in this sense where he's like he's taking the Democratic Party's platform or position on black voter, you know, the firewall or the black voting block that came, you know, that came A that reduces black people from their plurality, just like one homogenous thing. Uh, that Hillary Clinton kind of talked about in 2016 to this logical conclusion, like, hey, shit, I'll just assume that they'll support me because it's either them or it's either me or the fucking white nationalists, right? So their endorsement, they're like, their explicit, their proactive support doesn't really matter because it's either me or the party of like Stephen Miller and Donald Trump and, you know, any number of fucking racist morons. So rather explicitly racist morons. So I, I do think he's just taking that to his logical conclusion in some sense. And I also disagree where I think this like, faking endorsements actually tends to be a big deal, right? The, the media is not really talking about this. There's a, there was a piece in The Intercept by Ryan Grimm that mentioned this. But other than that, the media has more latched on to a, a willingness to believe that every black person is homophobic. And that's why we, you know, as blacks, as the black uh, delegation are not jumping behind the the mayor of a small town. Uh, and I mean, maybe they're reading Joy Reid's old blog, but I don't know. Yo, that shit was hilarious. Every time people remind me of Joy Reid's old blog, I think to, I, I forget how like how quickly people got over that. Right? People were just like, oh yeah, no, like this old ass blog is it, it must have just been hacked by Russians, and that's why uh, it just had it only has one comment on this. On this fucking this blog post about how Brokeback Mountain is gay propaganda and how two dudes kissing is like it's gonna you know I don't know give uh, give the entire population AIDS or some shit like it, it was that was weird not because she said it because I think that you know plenty of people as plenty of people in the media because they're part of that weird population of centrists that and liberals who view themselves as very progressive but like have all these skeletons in their closet that they don't want to admit to like. It's not so weird to be homophobic in your youth, like when you're 16 or 15. I was raised in a generation where like people used gay as an insult that to mean stupid or weird or idiot. But like most people kind of grew out of that. And most people, when they look back on that part of their life, they go, oh, yeah, we just don't do that anymore. It's just not part of the culture as much anymore, at least not mainstream culture. And, you know, but like copping to it makes a lot more sense than saying that it was fucking, you know, you know russians like it was, it was, it was time traveling russian hackers like, i mean yeah, it, was, it, was some, it was some time cop shit with some universal soldier shit it was great yeah though to just real quick to touch on some of the things that we disagreed with the reason why i say people aren't paying attention right haven't been paying attention and why this is something that i that you see in every uh, political campaign especially in the primaries <clears throat> is because I think there's a there's just a slight difference between what Buttigieg has done and what has traditionally happened in the past is Buttigieg is that kid who just blatantly cheats in class, right? Whereas traditionally Democratic Party members have tried to be a little bit more covert about their cheating. It doesn't mean that, right, they're not doing the same thing. So like he went and he took it a step further and said, I'm going to publish names of fake people, you know, that support that I'm saying are black and support my Frederick Douglass plan. And then like two thirds of the people that aren't fake are white, you know, but I'm going to call them black. And so while he his team took it to that next step, there have been plenty of times, you know, where you've got people like Hillary Clinton saying black people support me, right? Like where she, the, that, that assumption, right, that black people are going to support the Democratic Party, sorry, against my dog in the background with her chew toy, uh, are just going to assume 
that we're going to fall behind them and then talking as if they already have us in the bag already have black folks the black communities in general as if it was a monolith you know going to vote for her and endorsing what she talks about saying you saw it with bill clinton you saw it with obama you see it with every single democratic candidate or president Buttigieg, his team just took it one step further though the media is really you know the media is happy to believe that all black people are homophobic and completely ignore the fact that there's an incredible you know community of black queer folks as you said on twitter right two-thirds of this show is not is not straight right so you've got two-thirds of the show that of, that are is very black that fall into the queer community and so saying that people like us don't exist that we must be or that we're inherently homophobic because blackness trumps queerness or whatever other weird thing it's not unusual right because the media's main one of the main things that the media wants to do is shit on black people like that's one of the things the media does well. It perpetuates myths. This entire country believes that black people are horrible, shitty people, violent, lazy, whatever. There's so many different stereotypes and black people being homophobic is an easy one for them to play into, even though it's not true. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not surprised. No, I agree. I mean, it makes a, I mean, I think you make a, a good point and I, I will just say I'm not very black. I'm more, I'm more milk chocolate, like my protein powder mixed with If ice. you don't so like, shut your dark down chocolate milk. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, no, Trevor Noah, like colored, like, the, like, you know, unused, <laughs> unused chocolate milk mix, like unused Ovaltine, but I'm a little bit, I'm, a little bit, oh, I'm not, I'm not the darkest person in the world. Anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a little colorism joke for you. You're the darkest person only... on this podcast, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, anyway, no, I mean, it, it's silly, right? I think that you make a good point and a point that I'll just echo where like, it's easy for the media, A, to want to erase this actually pretty big. I would say uh grievance that people are having like hey you know this is not this is not an okay thing to do you can't just fucking say that um you know that fucking W.E.B. Du Bois is isn't endorsing your Frederick Douglass plan because he's been dead for like 50 years or actually I think 96 years and so he couldn't opt out of your fucking email chain uh uh, by the way, Rich. Uh, by the way, Adair, you say you're undecided, but since you didn't respond to the email, you're actually officially endorsing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so does also, that mean I like, got to learn how to do that shitty ass no rhythm mayo dance that uh, that Beth was sharing on Twitter? I did not watch that video. I've seen enough white people dance to know what that should look like. I, I could pitch that shit in my head. Oh, I, 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 and I, I didn't watch it, but I'll tell you exactly what it's it's in it. And I, you know. Can I say all say one thing? White people don't know. It's not that white people can't dance. It's that they don't know yes, what to do is. with their hands. They can't dance either. <laughs> it's, it's, that they, it's that they don't know what to do with their hands. So they 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 emulate mm. that sort of like wavy air jiggling arm shit that you see uh, inflatable uh, outside of used car dealerships. It's like so it was probably something like that. Some like some weird hand motions, some off rhythm hip shit. And that I, I put money on that. But I think you make a good point about the whole like the media is willing to believe that black people are homophobic. And I would sort of extrapolate that kind of weird historical dynamic out even further where it's like, it hurts as well. Right. Cause like black people are queer, black people are gay. You know, there's intra-community violence. There's outer inter-community violence when it comes to that things, those things. But like, it's also being used as a way to demonize them now when it wasn't intrinsic to their, like to a belief system that, that they originated with them. Right, it, it, I only make the point that like it, 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 there is a moving goalpost that it seems that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, 
if that makes any sense, which is not to excuse any other thing, any of the negativity of those things, but there doesn't seem to be a recognition of like these, these things were foisted upon cultures globally. And now, you know, or rather they were used like the, like the lack of strict gender norms, the lack of X, Y, and Z as reasons to judge these cultures globally as being bad. And now the same thing has happened, but the cultural norms has changed after they've adopted them so it's just a little funny you know it's, it's a funny dynamic because at the core of it, it's the same thing it's you know it's a way to shit on black people and it again i think about you know friend of the show former president rap rock hussein obama uh you know he basically had to go around the fucking country apologizing for being black not being too black where you have someone like Budagag who's able to just come out and say niggas don't like me because i'm gay and they and they're bad right i mean he had to have the fucking beer summit because he called the cops stupid for arresting a professor at his house because he was black <laughs> exactly and buddha has a history of, of anti-blackness he hid that shit in um south bend indiana like that police that refused to fire the race the racist police chief right and then he's also waged a war on fucking poor people in his own fucking city yeah uh, i mean the, the it reminds me of the baldwin quote uh, paraphrase a bit is like what white people have to do is to try and find out uh, themselves why it's necessary to have a nigga in the first place because we're not niggas we're we're people and if they think we're niggas then it's they gotta find out why they need it and so like you know they need to have this you know homophobic black character caricature in order to maintain or to justify the kinds of uh, to ignore essentially the very anti-black policy that they actually advocate and so like it need to be uneducated uninformed homophobic you know you know all these types of things in order to justify or you know influenced by russia is another popular one is like all these other reasons why black people don't like like supporting the democratic party even though we're more reliably we more reliably support the democratic party than basically any other group of people you're, you're right though the deviancy is a is a scriptive it's not ba the deviancy ascribed to the black community is not basically in the poor community too because we know those two things are linked in many ways poverty is racialized and blackness is intrinsically tied to class in people's minds you know both on from both sides of that right uh but like the deviancy in both those people poor people black people minorities in general is a scriptive it's not based on any real characteristics but like it's but like they are just content there just seems to be a continually moving sort of set of criteria to index that sort of deviant agreed and it's just interesting it is really interesting because there's there seems to be this dichotomy of we're people when we agree with them but the moment we don't we become niggas and i've you know as much as i think that they are fucking coons, black quote unquote conservatives, AKA house niggas, you know? I said the same kind of thing where they're like, well, the moment somebody finds out that I'm black and not a Democrat, white liberals feel like they have the chance, they have free reign to call me whatever they want, be, the, be it a nigga, be it a coon, be it a house nigga, whatever they want, like whatever variation uh, they have to erase my blackness they use. And that ends up being the case, right? Like, and we're seeing it with Pete. And it, again, to start, he was like, I don't need your vote. I'm not asking for black people's votes. And it went from that to black people are homophobic to see fake black people love me. He's trying to manufacture consent within the black community while at the same time saying, if you're creating this dichotomy of either you're black and you support me and therefore you're not homophobic 
or you're black and you don't support me. And the only reason you can't, you possibly could not support me is because you're homophobic. And that's because I had a think tank, a focus group and my campaign leaked that information out, which even in the, in the focus group, I just don't think would have been the case. But, you know, as much as we harp on Pete about this, it's true with just about every Democratic campaign. If you don't support the, you know, Democrats in whatever race, then white people are going to find a way to take you from being, hey, look at our, our token to, hey, look at this nigga over there that doesn't know what's good for this country and they're a piece of shit, you know. So it's interesting to see that every election cycle and see them try to court us in these sorts of ways while at the same time, the moment that we disagree with them at all. You know, you saw it with uh, Hillary, if you don't support her, black people must just be um, sexist, right? All black people are sexist because none of you like Hillary Clinton. Or at the same time, like all black people love the Clintons. Every black person does. And if you don't love them, you're clearly not a real black person, you know. One of the things that really concerns me about that is the how then Kanye West fills that space for some people by accurately pointing out that basically, you know, if you're black and you don't support the Democratic Party, you get treated that way, but then leads that into really shitty politics instead of actually good politics. And like with that vacuum, and we've touched on it before in previous episodes, but that vacuum being addressed with shitty politics like that is a very concerning problematic for me. First of all, I won't have you speak. You speak uh, ill of the first black president of the United States of America, Bill Slick Willie uh, Clinton. <laughs> if, 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 it, if it ain't a nigga to almost get uh, impeached for getting your dick sucked. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, just kidding. I don't want to claim him because he's a rapist. Um, <laughs> uh, seriously, though. No, you're right. And I think you know, the black community isn't getting behind Pete Buttigieg. And I just would be my argument is because, A, he, and I've said it, I said it last episode, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself a little bit. A, he comes across more than anybody else as being completely manufactured. It's like nothing about him seems real. Um, he seems incredibly disingenuous and incredibly fake. And he pivots from one ideal to another ideal on a dime. People say that about Elizabeth Warren, you know, her moving back and forth between Medicare for all. Uh, and other things but when she does that you get the sense that there is that there is an underlying belief system we just don't necessarily understand and it might be bad she's a neoliberal right that is the belief system and so like it might be bad but you get that there is a value system intrinsic to her that she does not like that she is in some ways trying to present as a good alternative and is failing to do so the closer it gets to like the surface but you get there, the sense of values there. I don't get that from Pete Buttigieg. People say he's Republican. I don't get that from him. Like I, I don't get, I don't, I don't get any sense from of values from him. Like if you told me that he was a, a fucking liquid metal Terminator, uh, but instead of coming back to kill people, he come, he has come back to do your taxes. I'd believe you, which makes it even more fucking ironic because Beto O'Rourke has fucking Michael Bean teeth. Like he looks like fucking like he has Kyle Reese mouth. It's it's, it's a little bit weird. But the same pe- reason that, like, the same reason I think that white people like him, like, inherently, oh, he's a small town mayor. Isn't that so quirky and cute? Uh, he went to Harvard. Uh, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, you know, he, you know, he, uh, he worked in consulting. They, those values don't really appeal to, I think, black people the same way they appeal to, like, more shallow voting white people i think chomsky said too he's like a walking resume for the president united states of america like it comes he comes across as so so into this that it's he doesn't even try to fake how disingenuous it is and some people just can't see past that but 
I, I don't know. He he rings off the alarm bells in my head. But I will say I think you make a good point, Richard, about the about like, you know, people like they need to decide like why they need niggas, not just the Democratic Party, but America. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think that in I think in Pete Buttigieg, you're seeing something like you're seeing neoliberalism uh, in Pete Buttigieg and also in Clinton and, you know, and in hindsight, Obama, like you're seeing something that's become very typical, which is like a stalling tactic, like has adopted to like prevent a real critique of capitalism and the need to, to abolish it, which is that basically we that we have to break every glass ceiling for every person, every type of person that might exist before we are allowed to like start touching the bones of what makes America so bad, right? Like everyone has to be able to succeed equally or reach the heights of the society first, regardless of, you know, sexual identity, uh, disability status, uh, gender, uh, race, uh, you know, geographic origin, whether they went to Ivy League schools, what their background is. Like, everyone has to be able to shatter that glass ceiling before we're allowed to start talking about, like, well, you know, maybe we should be lifting the ground floor and not necessarily working about worrying about the glass ceiling because the glass ceiling itself can only be shattered so many times. You know, not to be rude, you know, people say that, uh, you know, we hate Pete Buttigieg because he's gay. Again, you know, I'm not really straight. Adair is not. Uh, Adair is not really straight. Richard is Jamaican or something. Uh, so I don't know what that means. But <laughs> I mean, I haven't really ever talked about it. But like, I mean, since I've become more aware, I would identify as like non-binary and a part of the. You know, I would I would identify generally as queer, but I'm also not. Uh, like fluid enough in the whole uh, everything not, in order to be able to talk about it. So I just, you know, uh, I, def- I, 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 I present as cis straight or whatever. So like, I, I, that's where I'm at. I identify as gross. I'm pretty gross. <laughs> I'm, I'm gross, uh, both sexually and hygiene wise. But no, it's, it's, all of that is, it's, you know, it's just a way for me to lazily say that like our hatred of him is pure in certain ways. I, I think I think Chasen is cute. He does. I will admit he looks like logic. Chasen, his husband, looks like Not logic. You know, he's a kind of a he's kind of a dumbass, but like he looks like logic. But, you know, ultimately, it's like it's this very like it's a stalling tactic. Like we're being reintroduced to like, this stalling tactic where everyone has to break these glass ceilings before we're capable of having a real conversation about like what is wrong with society because that is what equality looks like to some people it's like it's the the systematic breaking of every hurdle by one person even at the expense of every other person in that population and i will say i think that's a pretty good uh a pretty good um uh, fucking like segue into like the second part of what I want to talk about with the no, war. Before shit. you go off, oh, I was go just going to yeah. say from you that like on that point, I would just say it's also a strategy. You know, is everybody needs a taste. You know, it's like you think capitalism sucks, but have you tried being really rich yet? And it's like, get, you know, let somebody that at least looks like you be really, really rich and tell you about how great it is. And then maybe you won't hate capitalism so much you, and you won't want to actually change that part. And so I, I mean, think that's, that's not my nigga. So I, <laughs> so I don't care how many houses Jay-Z has. Like, that, that motherfucker hasn't made a good album in two decades. And people are talking about, like, look how cool Jay-Z and Beyonce. Jay-Z is the worst part of every song with Jay-Z on it. And they, you want me to make it? You want me to be to live vicariously through his success? What anyway? But no, I, I, exactly. it brings me to the oh, go what? I was just saying exactly the living vicariously through their success part is part of it as well, and like it, it's people need to confront that. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean they want you to over-identify. It's like anything else. Like you know, capitalism really wants you to over-identify with the success of people who look like you, uh, and under-identify with your own with your own 
was your own fucking failure. Like it demands that you like, oh, well, be have an aspirational view of richness and like a self-flagellate, uh, a self-flagellate over being poor. At the same time, though, you know, I, I bring me uh, the second part of what I want to talk about, which was like was this this root article, the article in the root rather, uh, that. Terrell Starr, longtime friend of the show, even if he didn't know it, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think he's I think he's a friend ever since that he I will say he does the most accidental anti-Semitisms of anybody I know, uh, even more than myself, to be honest. Uh, but after he went to Peach's Hot House and Slave Plantation restaurant, um, uh, he he did had an, a, fi- a fifteen minute interview with Warren, and he asked her like the question: If capitalism can capitalism exist without racism? So I'm going to get your, your guys' thoughts on that. Go ahead, Rich. It's obviously not, but uh, I, I saw the that she had responded to it, but I actually hadn't uh, really read in depth what her response was. And I don't really care because like, I, I know it's bullshit. But uh, immediately what jumps out to me is, I mean, we know how capitalism or well, I guess not everybody, but like if we look at how capitalism was built and how it maintains itself, it always needs an underclass to exploit. And uh, racism is going to is a easy way is an easy way to create an underclass and maintain an underclass, as we know, with the history of racism in the United States specifically. And so, like, I don't from my understanding of the history of capitalism, I don't even understand how that's debatable. Functionally, capitalism cannot, capitalism cannot exist without racism, sexism, homophobia, every kind of, every one of these systemic ills that we look at, right? And when you read things, when you read things by Marx and other folks who talk about the issues and problems of capitalism, and not only that, but provide alternatives, you you really come across some very key themes right and it is quite simply one of them is quite simply this capitalism is an exploitative system period right you see that capitalism must exist it doesn't exist on this on this idea of supply and demand it's a capitalist fallacy right capitalism requires people to buy things it requires things to be bought it requires domination and accumulation of wealth and in order to do this you as richard said you have to have an underclass you have to have you have the capitalist class and you have workers the two are incompatible with one another right and the reality is the workers actually hold all the power because what is a capitalist without a worker you know question to ask yourself right what is a capitalist without a worker so workers hold immense power in this society and every other society right because without workers nothing gets done capitalists cannot capitalists cannot gain capital they cannot take the excess you know we look at this profit is just stolen wages from workers from laborers so they can't do that right unless there's a few things one is a scapegoat to say hey you're not being rich because of this and two to say if you work hard enough that you will get rich right and those two things play hand in hand that's why you see rich white conservatives so heavily beating the drum of racism that's why you see them so heavily beating the drum of xenophobia they keep saying hey it's not that part it's not that you're a problem it's not that capitalism is a problem i mean capitalism is here it's fair for everybody everyone has an equal chance to win but you see that person of color over there who just who doesn't speak the same language as you or who immigrated, right, or is here as a migrant worker or whatever, 
that person right there, that's why you're not making any money. Even though, like, it's not true. It's fundamentally untrue. Capitalism could not exist without that lie being told in perpetuity, right? You have to perpetuate that lie. You have to perpetuate this idea that it's the other workers that are stopping you from becoming a member of the capitalist class and that something has to be done about that. So you pit workers against each other and you do it in a variety of ways, right? And we saw white people literally scoured the world for people to exploit so as to keep costs down. That's one of the things that capitalism drives. And the irony is, as capitalists hoard more and more wealth, that means there's less and less money for workers to spend, which means eventually you get to a point where the system has to collapse. It, it's unsustainable. It's built entirely on exploitation of the worker and is therefore built on the exploitation of different groups of workers and used to put, pit them against each other. Yeah, and the conflict that I see immediately, just looking over some of her response, is she says, so for me, uh, markets without rules, it's just theft. It's just a way to cheat people. It's just a way to steal their labor or steal their money or steal, or steal their houses. It's like, well, that's just capitalism. <laughs> like, make, putting rules on capitalism doesn't stop it. it it's like, you might reduce the amount they're able to steal. You might be able to redistribute it. Uh, but what ends up happening is uh, you have a, your political system gets captured by the capitalist class and and the rule makers work for the capitalists, not for the people that are being cheated. Because why would you work for the people that are being cheated and have nothing to give you when you could work for the capitalists with all the money? First of all, I just want to offer a condemnation of Adair's statement first. Um, we don't support Marx on the show. You may, have met, you may have forgotten Marx was canceled, I think, a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I I think no, he, I think it was canceled because like someone found out that he used the word like Negro in fucking like, like in like eighteen eighty eight, and I was like, I don't, I I hate to break it to you, but like you know, you're being a little anachronistic. I, actually, I'm being you know, I uh, I joke, but I think it was more that he like some of his work kind of uh, like lent towards like race science, and I was like, yeah, but like. In eighteen like the eighteen hundreds, like the late like race science was just science. <laughs> was just science. science I was yeah. like, this is like this is not like fucking the Atlantic like like publishing fucking like the bell curve in two thousand nineteen and like or like pseudo phrenology under the, the the fucking the name of craniometry. Uh, this is like nineteen eighty five, and like you know, frankly, you know, so black libertarians trying to fucking cancel Mark while like bumping uh, triple X tentacula. Uh, you know, like I mean, fuck it. Like I said, like I said before, at least Marx had some bangers. Like, like you, have, like you want, right. like you want to fucking bang Kodak Black while criticizing Marx. Like, I don't know. Get your get your get your life together. <laughs> so maybe, uh, like I know, like like maybe just relax, relax a little bit about that one. The only condemnation but, you know, that I have is that people aren't actually reading Marx. Like people aren't reading Marx. People aren't reading Lenin. People aren't reading even Stalin. Right? They're not reading Mao. They're not reading communist literature and trying to gain an understanding of what, in this case, right, in America, socialism actually is. I still appreciate all the work that I've read by Marx, and I'm by, by no means am I the most well-read person when it comes to, to, you know, communist literature, and I'm trying to rectify that situation since I'm out of work uh, with the broken elbow. But, you know, it is it is interesting, right, too. Like, you also have to take things in context, and that's one of the things about when we read uh, when we read theory, we have to take it into the context of when it was being written and also read updated versions of these theories, read, mo read more modern thinkers on the subject and see whether or not we agree. 
you know so specifically well, yeah, read black the, people read black people black women especially like yeah. black queer women like read there's a, like instead of reading some guy who's taking credit for the work that they did read them please yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I mean, mean like Leah black read yeah, Marx, i mean yeah yeah marx marx forms the bones of a lot of black radical thought right? exactly you know, like you know like he like a lot of black radical thinkers have been in conversation with if not marx himself mm-hmm. uh though many have many were fluent in marx way more fluent than i am obviously uh <laughs> like like but with the ideas so with the ideas through a variety of of intermediaries they, they, they've been engaging with the work of you know capital and the bourgeoisie and proletariat and, and adding more more emphasis on what that means for race i, I got there's say, a like, lot of for, parallel thinking as well you know developing similar lines of thinking in different areas or in different groups independent of it but it, along right. the same lines and many yeah, definitely many folks you know identified as marxist leninist right like they identified with the principles of marxism some of them have you know there's different i there's different schools of thought right within communist theory and so when we talk about communism when we talk about theory it's important to realize that there's not just one it's not capitalism there's not one just this is what it is this is how we view things there's a lot of disagreement amongst communists there are a lot of folks who don't agree with maoists right there's folks that don't agree with marxist leninists there are folks that are stalinists there's all types of different thought within communist theory and so it's important when we talk about, like when people talk about these things, it's just to keep in mind that it's not a unified thing and that there's many different authors. And I would absolutely say, yes, engage with the, with engage, engage with black Marxist work, right? Engage with folks of, in, and I would also say just in general, engage with folks of color who have, you know, expounded on the ideas of Marxism. But I think, you know, reading the manifesto is a good place to start and get some of that vocabulary down and understand, okay, here's what they're, here's the theory that they're talking about and applying it in this way, that way, and the other way. That's just my two cents. I mean, I guess, yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, for me, I don't consider myself to be, well, I consider communism, socialism, a lot of the stuff Marx talked about to be, well, obviously it's been expanded upon, but for me, that's more of a heuristic, you know, to, to borrow like a, a fancy word. Like it, it's, it's a best fit understanding of like the way the world works, especially the modern world and historically. I mean, and I think that people have done a good job of building upon his ideas, but that's not the point I was going to make. Really, I mean, you didn't miss much when you in the article, Richard, because like the question by itself is kind of like the question itself may not be stupid, but the fact that it wasn't followed, the, the answer was, and that she basically started talking about like how good the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau was. Now, and it's just like that's kind of the, the CFPB is kind of overrated for the reason that a lot of technocratic solutions and like new agencies that don't necessarily have uh, good retention or good lack of competition uh, built into them uh, do because like all it does is create this like this new burgeoning like market for like technocrats because all it does is, like you know the second in command of the CFPB I think went over to work for a private equity firm or a bank or some shit immediately afterwards like all it does is ensure that the people who make the laws have an easier time getting a job in the private sector and then they go back to the public sector and it's like this endless game it's endless cycle of making the laws then finding the loopholes to the laws then making new laws it just it creates a it's a lack of it's a it's only the illusion of change because the corrections are are usually immediately fucking broken i mean it's it's a good example of the way the system works that we have now between your democrats and republicans too where it's like hey you know what four years of kind of milk toast maybe progress or at least not loss of progress it, depending on you know what sector you're talking about followed by being ramped down again and it, it's an endless cycle that never leads to any real progress 
just the illusion of mm-hmm. one thing. But like for me, like I was like, that's a philosophical and a practical question rolled into one. Like, are you asking like, could capitalism have existed without racism? Because I mean, I guess theoretically, right? I think I think Adair makes a good point where it's like capitalism demands an underclass to be exploited. Now, did that under didn't that underclass have to be naturalized based on race? Maybe not. It was though. It was though. Yeah. It was. Right? Like, so, it was in this country. So I guess real quick, just because I want, I want to make sure that we're clear on this. Capitalism. The capitalism, when we speak about it, typically on this show, is what we would, what I would define as Western capitalism, is what we saw coming out of Europe. Right. Uh, there were other countries amongst them. You know, some of my ancestors back in Japan. Japan was a nascent capitalist country way back, uh, pri- even prior trade, prior to European trade. Um, And so you saw kind of an underclass happening then, but you also at the same time were in a feudal era of the country's history. So this was shortly after the Warring States period, actually even during the Warring States period, you started to see kind of a shift towards capitalism. And then post unification, we were absolutely a capitalist uh, peoples. And there was an underclass of exploited folks then. Um, in But in that case, actually, the capitalism kind of shifts a little bit because in America and in Western capitalism in particular, merchants are considered incredibly, 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 incredibly uh, high within our social caste system. However, in that version of capitalism, merchants were actually at the bottom rung of that ladder. It was merchants than uh, people that owned land and were working, like people that were working farms didn't necessarily own land, right? Then you had scholars and then clearly you had uh, the shogunate class and folks like that. So there, there's some differences in how capitalism has developed across the world. However, at least to be clear on the show, when we talk about capitalism, usually we're speaking about Western styles of capitalism and even any kind in capitalism in general, as Richard originally pointed out, requires the exploitation of an underclass. And with white people, they chose to... In, in the West, they specifically chose race, gender, things like that, on which to build. First of all, I'll just say that it's, it's improper to uh, to accuse Elizabeth Warren of being a white person. Her twenty three, <laughs> her twenty three, and me results came back and decided that she was, I think, like what twenty seven percent Irish or some shit. So, in reality, she is a person of color of the worst sort but no i mean like it it's for me like that whole conversation and i think that you're right and it it comes less to a lack of familiarity with or rather it is a lack of familiarity with like black thought and history of black thought uh not the roots rapper but like you know the thing itself the the concept and the the canon of literature rather that like it's been entirely defanged in our in our school systems it's like every black leader who is taught which is like two of them which is like Martin Luther King Jr. and like Rosa Parks uh and they're taught very shallowly and I guess sometimes Malcolm X like it's taught in a way that very heavily emphasizes and very heavily reflects how neoliberals think about identity which is that like it's atomized. It's like Martha King Jr. organized black people to march against the systemic racism in the United States of America, you know, the right to vote, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, he, he sort of, but he also, you know, the March of Washington was a march for, you know, for, for jobs, essentially. You know, it was a march for, you know, it was a march for economic equality, not just racial, not just some sort of vague notion of like racial uh racial respect along racial lines they assassinated him because he started organizing fucking trade unionists and like other like laborers you know like or that might be because of that's what tipped him over the the edge but like he was assassinated while doing that like while organizing people based for like on labor and uh you know you can see that across many black leaders this idea that well 
it, we, like, we can't teach that they had a class analysis that intersected with their race analysis. They can't, you can't teach that they, they recognize what we recognize is that like race and class come together, come together in America. Maybe it didn't have to, but it does. You know, poverty is racialized. Uh, race is, you know, race becomes a predicting factor of who is poor. And, you know, I think that's why on the left, we talk about like, hey, it has to be race and class, you know, and you, you hear a lot about at least you, you also hear a lot. You hear a lot about this, this, this strain of class reductionism that exists on the left. And it does exist. It exists. You know, it, it has to. Everything exists on Twitter and everything exists in, in, the, in the world. But then you see the opposite side of that. And, the, and like and then you have to realize that, oh, yeah, like the opposite side of that is is this conversation right here that uh, we can functionally tackle racism while not while leaving capitalism intact. You know, we can we can make it so that poverty and the grossest effects of poverty, although she is trying to tackle that, I will I will give her that she in a ways that I don't necessarily find to be the best. But she is trying to tackle the worst successes of capitalism in that she, without touching capitalism itself, too, which is like another part of that conversation. Like, can you rein in the worst successes of capitalism successfully without you know, without tackling the problem of capitalism itself? And can you rein in racism without talk, tackling the problem of capitalism itself? And I would say no to both of those. Like at a certain point that we've been sold a bill of sale that you can rein in capitalism, you can tackle its worst excesses, you can rein in racism, tackle its worst excesses without tackling capitalism. And that's just not the case. Uh, but it reveals kind of, I think, a fundamental flaw with her mentality, which is that you can have big structural change. You can have things like the CFPB, which is a structural change. How big it is is debatable. You can do stuff like that, and you don't. And that means you don't have to actually have a big cultural change. You don't have to actually tackle sort of the underlying values that prevent these things from being corrupted. You can just you can just engage in this you know this game of, of footsie with the pri with private equity and banks forever. And things can get marginally worse until we all die, right? But like, what is she? But like, honestly, what is she gonna fucking do about like to rein in racism through the, the CFPB? Is she gonna yell at the fucking CEO of racism in front of Congress? Like, is it like who is the CEO of racism? Papa John Schnatter? Like, she's like she's gonna, she's gonna bring in like Papa John Schnatter and yell at him in front of Congress, and that's gonna end racism in America? No, like that doesn't work that way. Uh, but you know, and I, there are many problems with the idea of like anti-racist capitalism at, at its core, even if it did work, all it does is, you know, essentially just ensure equally distributed extreme maldistribution of resources. But at, the, at its core, it, it's not that like you are using anti-racism or like social justice or care of black people to, I, I can't even say it that way. Really what I'm trying to say is that like, it's it's just cap it's not anti-racist it's just capitalism adapting itself to modern critiques in the sense that it's it's just saying hey you know what uh we we before we used race to shield capitalism from the uprising of uh of a disenfranchised and maldistributed underclass of white people by creating a naturalized underclass for them to, for them to take out their aggression on, right? Maybe not, maybe it's a little bit reductive, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, you know, race became a shield for capitalism in the past, right? Became a shield, became a mask, became a guise. Like, that's all this is again, though. Like, all it is again is race being used as a shield to protect capitalism. Where it's like, okay, well, we don't have to tackle capitalism. We can get, we can just get rid of the racism. It's, I guess, a deal that doesn't even work.
Yeah. No, I think uh, those are all excellent points. And I just, one thing I wanted to mention is that there was a trial and it, the jury found that it was a conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal governments that killed Martin Luther King Jr. Just, just to put that out there. It's like, that's been adjudicated and has been decided. So when you say, you know, they killed uh, Martin Luther King Jr. for X or whatever, it's like, this is, like, we know there's a conspiracy to kill them. And then we have also contemporary documents of the time of why the FBI wanted him dead and why they thought he was such a threat. So I think it's important that people really engage with that rather than kind of... Uh, think of it as you know speculation or, th- or conspiracy or anything like that it's not no it's not a conspiracy it's not a conspiracy yeah. see, <laughs> the fbi the same fbi that people now put their faith in was trying to get him to fucking commit suicide they were trying to get him the 13 reasons why himself right <laughs> like, this is like so it, it's important that people really like uh, keep that in their mind but then with as far as warren is essentially what she's like doing whether she realizes it or not is trying to replace race racism with a a rainbow nationalism at the expense of the global south so oh you know all all these people in the united states can enjoy the fruits of capitalism if we just make sure that the rules exploit not the people in this country but people outside of our borders which is i think one of the things that concerns me generally about the kind of progressive movement in the united states is that there's a lot of essentially rainbow nationalism that will uh, kind of be socialism for this country at the expense of the rest of uh, imperialism enforced around the world. And so like, I think that Warren's take on reigning in capitalism fits nicely in that worldview. And so like, I, I can see a political coalition forming around what is essentially, you know, great for Americans in a more equitable distribution in the stolen resources from the rest of the world, but just replaces uh, a, a very interpersonal and national racism here with a disregard for lives outside of our border, which we see reflected both when Obama was caging kids and now Trump and uh, like all of these in the bombings around the world and so on and so forth. We see this kind of disregard already enjoyed by partisan support. So it's a natural progression to see that as well in this kind of uh, uh, what I'm, I'm just referring to as like a, a rainbow nationalism at the moment. That was what they called it. Remember that? You, do you forget? That was, I think it might have been Kamala Harris. I, and again, you know, Buttigieg is soon going to be polling as low as Kamala Harris is with black mm-hmm. people. <laughs> She's going to start getting negative black support. Um, but uh, no, like that is like that, like that, they, that was like what multiracial nationalism or like so a race, like some, like some bullshit, like poll tested term that they were trying to roll out where it's like, well, you're right, where we replaced the natural underclass, the naturalized underclass of the black people in america or just people of color in america with the naturalized underclass of the global south right but again that's kind of like that that's a perfect world scenario that we could have socialism at home and it's sort of i guess imperialism mm-hmm. and fascism abroad because like in reality we know that even the we know that the um that the the uh, the oppression of black people in this country, like the, the like sort of like the the racism in this country, doesn't even ensure that all white people are doing well, right? Like I said, that's why I mean, like it, it becomes a mask for other exploitative systems, or, or like it becomes a mask for the breadth of the exploitative system because essentially it's like white people aren't like there's an entire cabal of poor white people. And I'm saying they have, they have it just as bad as we do because they well maybe they have worse than I do because I'm not poor or white. I can dance a little bit, but like in reality, it's just like 
racism didn't ensure white people actually got anything right they have privilege yes i mean i think that the way we talk about privilege can be a little bit misleading but like they don't have all the resources they want either they're not not getting their asses kicked by the police they're not not getting arrested you know, in, in numbers, if not disproportionately as high as black people are, obviously less than that, like in numbers that would shock the rest of the fucking civilized, that shocks the rest of the rest of the fucking civilized world, right? It's just like, and I think that and so that's when we talk about like, can racism, can capitalism exist without racism? Could the excesses like the private prison industry, the militarized, the militarization of the police, all of these other things exist without racism, uh, I have a hard time believing that because so much of that is disguised as an ethnic problem, you know, and not that's not even to say like, you know, how much money does it cost uh, the city of Chicago to play up to pay off all the people who've get, been gotten their ass beat by the police like a billion dollars, actually a lot of fucking money in taxes. But just, you know, the racialization of some of these vulnerable populations, the poor, uh, the formerly incarcerated, uh, the disabled, not the disabled, really, don't, don't talk about the disabled, but the racialization of a lot of these populations and a lot of the, the, a lot of the victims of these systems has led to them not being adequately tackled by us. Like, you know, we don't know where we would be without racism. I think that, you know, she makes the point where, you know, there could be racism in a socialist country, you know, and I think that that bears itself to be true because we've, we've had expansions of the welfare state, as I dared mention on, on, on previous podcast episodes, but, you know, FDR expanded the social state in many ways. In, in many ways, he raised the bottom floor for a lot of Americans, social security, blah, 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 blah. But even that was unequally distributed based on, ra on racial ties the problem with that is of course like well we don't live in a socialist or a racist socialist country it's just like we don't you know you know there are plenty of socialist countries that have imperialist practices nordic country they sell weapons so they, that's all that's all well and good they don't have the naturalized population though internally that can be used as a scapegoat for absolving uh, the abuses of the the private sector the abuses of the public sector and the excesses of capitalism though and so, like, America's a unique situation where a lot of our progress has been derailed by people who are able to reference this inborn, innate threat or innate part of the citizenry that does not deserve the same level of support as white people, and therefore no one can have it. Yeah, I think part of the issue as well, and I know you weren't doing this, is that, like, when people say, like, socialism can be bad too is that like it's then in conflict with its underlying ideology you know it's like can you be racist in a socialist country well yeah there can be racism but it's in conflict with its underlying ideology where is in capitalism the massive exploitation of the underclass the racism and the the disproportionate distribution of wealth are all you know features they're not bugs like so that's an important defining difference like between like how they can how you could have you you know racism exists in either society but then how that racism is perceived as uh functioning within the system no, I, I would agree i think some people even elizabeth warren would say like well that's capitalism not functioning as it's supposed to like you know everyone's supposed to get a fair shake regardless of x y and z and i was like that's not true <laughs> it's just like you know and really capitalism is a fucking smash and grab it's a racket like mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy against mankind. You know, insofar as like it's meant to convince you that like your failures are you know because of a lack of trying. When in reality, it's just this slow erosion of opportunity, right? And so only the very top have it. 
And my only point was mostly just that, like, yeah, you know, you could have, uh, we talked about before, you could have a communist, you know, you have a communist uh, dictatorship or a communist uh, regime or even a communist, like, uh, democracy, I guess, the where, like, that's incredibly hazardous to the environment. You know, I don't think it's helpful to, you know, to talk about perfect world, entirely theoretical scenarios where it's like, is this, is this in practice, uh, entirely antithetical to the spirit of the ideology it's like well yeah but everything in practice is different than the ideology and people are people and we know we and we're only really working with the you know i don't think we have the option of abs of like abolishing race i mean i wish we did and i would be the, the perfect thing you know i in a perfect world you know we would have had slavery i guess you know i well i'm not that's not perfect world <laughs> obviously in a perfect world and <laughs> in a, a mid-tier world we would have had slavery without the creation of a naturalized ranking and hierarchy system based on the idea of race to justify why people why slavery was okay uh but we didn't have that and now i think you know 600 years down the line we don't necessarily have the option to pretend like you know race doesn't matter nor do we have the option to pretend like we can create institutions that are going to be race blind and we can't even pretend like if we staff those institutions with you know, a uh, diverse coalition of people that they won't be infected by capitalist imperatives and that they won't continue to be to to perpetuate racial biases. So really what we're talking about is verse. And I think we've had this conversation before. And it's a funny one because, you know, we mentioned the whole like class reductionist strain on Twitter. And, you know, the opposite that like, I mentioned is that this like what, you know, Warren is expressing is the neoliberal promise that, you know, we can we can get rid of all of the quote unquote arbitrary uh, dis reasons why people don't succeed and only have like people fucking fall into soul crushing bone bone chilling poverty based on uh, based on like whether or not they can they can you know based on merit, which, again, is not a real thing. But like even if it were a real thing, it still wouldn't be ideal. So I agree with you. And so, but like, and, but that's not like, that's not a, th a strain of thought on Twitter. It's like what she's expressing is not a strain of thought on Twitter. And so when people focus on class reduction, I'm like, yeah, it's a problem. But like this other thing we're talking about, like neoliberalism, like is, this is neoliberalism in its core, like disguising the problems of capitalism with like, you know, this shit, for lack of a better, like for my words have lost me. It's like, this is the dominant ideology of America. This is in like it's like mm -hmm. it's the it's the hegemonic ideology of a large part of America, and it's the explicit ideology of one part of one of the two major political parties in the country, and they have they show no signs of being able to think outside of this dynamic, and or no desire to really. They just want to keep finding new Obamas. You know, Clinton failed to be a new Obama because she fucking sucks and everyone hates her. <laughs> um, you know. Beat Buttigieg is looking like he could do be a serviceable Obama because Biden, I, honestly, Biden is putting me in a hard position because he's like the only straight white male in the fucking race anymore besides John Delaney, I think, and, or Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg. Uh, but like, well, you know, essentially, and like they, they put Biden in the fucking naughty box and he, they only let him out occasionally to fuck up this, fuck up, um, press releases and sniff people's hair. So I feel like I'm just picking on gay people and fucking women half the time now, 
because like there's just there's no one else. <laughs> That's by design too. It is like it's of by course, design. But Biden came out recently against fucking saying that cannabis was a gateway drug, which is thoroughly debunked. Fucking like over a decade ago. In reality, Corn Pop should have whipped his ass. Like I, I'm a big you know rest in power to Corn Pop. But if he had cut him one good time, we wouldn't have to do we wouldn't have to deal with Joe Biden. He's just taking one for the team. Yeah, and a nice I'm good a, face a, scar could have prevented or would have had us uh, visually associate the kind of person Joe Biden is with the kind of person that he is inside i don't know dan crenshaw manages to do all right <laughs> yeah well yeah, it's true enough i was like i don't know society can be harsh but uh one of the things that came to my mind with what you were talking about there is uh, one that the story uh, from a couple baldwin quotes uh, the story of the negro in america is the story of america and it's not a pretty story and then uh that the world is not white never was white cannot be white and that white is a metaphor for power, and that is simply a way of describing Chase Manhattan Bank. And that leads back to what we were talking about earlier with this living vicariously through the uh, the elites or capitalist class, oligarchs, whatever we want to call them, essentially, in that whiteness gives those people, the poor whites that we, you mentioned earlier, that connection to live vicariously through them. And like that's one of the reasons why it's constantly reemphasized through neoliberal po- politics. And that's just what, uh, one aspect of what uh, I really pulled away from what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly, right? But it creates circumstances where, like, it's not that people aren't ranked oppression. It's that people don't see that the implication of their oppression in other people's suffering, or they don't see the implication of how, like, other people's suffering implicates them, right? And I think that's the problem with ally discourse sometimes. You know, the idea that, hey, you need to be an ally to X person, to Y person, to Z person. It's like, yeah, you should be an ally to any person, but you should also understand just how intrinsically linked our suffering is and how oftentimes you're not like you're being you're being made to view other people's suffering as being cordoned off to them right and like and having no impact on your life so you mentioned the global south scenario and that that was the first thing i thought when she said we're going to have anti-racist capitalism like okay well what like where does the global south fit into that that metric Mm -hmm. because are you because like are you saying that we can have like an anti-racism at home but still have a foreign policy that's deeply rooted in like a, a racist, you know, geopolitical position. They did that we have to be occupying brown countries, that we have to be engaged in a war on a war on terror that's aimed at brown countries. We have to be engaged in a war on drugs that's aimed on brown countries, that we have to be engaged in coups and, and all this other shit. Uh, and that that won't have any effect on people at home in the same way that saying that the rampant racism on the black population in America through the the police and prisons and public education doesn't have direct and indirect effects on the health of America and on the white population uh maybe not the riches but like at the same time I would argue a lot of the richest black people are insulated from all but the worst excesses of racism as well you know so that's a different kind of question so like are you saying that we can have like a military because we because we know what the we know what the you know forget the the ways in which white people get caught up in a prison industrial complex etc but we know the 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 links between the the kinetic military policies and the kinetic policing policies like the the, the militarization of the police force is a direct result of the expansion of the, of the of the forever war like we know that counterinsurgency tactics are used on against against like dapple protesters i think it's uh, that you 
capture some really important points. And one of the things that comes to my mind is the like the literal transition of the soldiers come back from the war zones after killing the brown people, and then they become cops and then blame the PTSD for you know shooting somebody because they got grabbed the wallet that they asked for. And then they're driving the old equipment that they were driving in this foreign country because in order to feed the military industrial complex, they got to keep renewing and, and uh, building more new stuff. And so like it has to go somewhere. And besides going to the people that then later use it against us, it also some of it travels back to be used in the police forces domestically. And so it's like uh, you captured a lot of them and the, there's a very, you know, visceral and, uh, you know, like tangible uh, relationship between what we do over there and how it comes back to reflect over here. And so like, uh, it, I think that's a very important point. Go ahead. Yeah, no, like that's absolutely, uh, one of the, part of the case. And that's part of why I think so many of us have to be incredibly outspoken on imperialism, right? And in, in particular, American imperialism, you cannot be anti-capitalist. You cannot be socialist. You cannot be communist if you are not actively anti-imperialist, because that's just how it goes. And when we talk about, uh, you know, putting, they're talking about putting homeless folks in these uh, internment camps, <clears throat> black people make up 13% of the American population, about 40% of the homeless, homeless population. So again, even when we like look at, hey, everybody is, hurting here right there's all types of homeless folks it's again disproportionately going to be hurting black people brown people indigenous folks right like these are the groups that are consistently being damaged by our fascist policies and it's really a major problem and it's you know again you cannot um, sit here and say hey we're gonna we're gonna you know, take the target of the underclass out of our country and put it on the backs of other people. That's not acceptable. Either you're for liberation of everybody, or either you're for, or you're for the liberation of nobody. And that's simply how this is going to work. Yeah, it's unacceptable. And Ava doesn't even fucking work, right? Like it does, like it doesn't even, like it really just doesn't even work, right? So like, which is a different, which, and also I would argue like a lot of home population is also suffering from mental illness and not in a way that makes them dangerous, which is the narrative, but in a way that makes them vulnerable and more likely to be the victims of violence in being put in internment camps. But that's another population that kind of gets looped into that as well. And not to mention that I think I, uh, my experience and, and like from what my perception is that a lot of mental illness is directly related to uh, dealing with capitalism. You know, the stresses and stressors of capitalism lead people to like to break down in a variety of situations. I, I've just personally seen it uh, in my own life with uh, friends or people that I've known growing up and stuff, just watching how the isolation, the alienation and the exploitation of capitalism drove them some actually literally to the, uh, to the, uh, not an asylum, what we call them now, uh, like a mental health uh, facility and uh, others that just, you know, found out, uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms but are able to continue grinding their gears for the capitalist machine so people just basically turn blind eye to what is interminable suffering essentially yeah i mean i don't i don't even think that we're, we're able to have that conversation about the effects of capitalism and neoliberalism and just modernity on the failures of modernity on mental health because we've kind of you know not entirely out of not entirely out of negative impulses, because I think the positive impulse behind it is that for so long, mental illness was treated as like a moral and intellectual deviancy, much and also a gendered, also a gendered and racialized deviancy as well, right? Because we know that there used to be, what was the fucking, what was that mental illness that was like 
something mania i would say tryptomania but i think that's the one where you have you freak out when you see pe- things with holes you say honeycombs or shit but the like slaves who wanted to be free were thought to be mentally ill because they were like they were mm-hmm. giving it to the, i forget what it's called now i, will, I also won't look it up unless i unless i name the episode after it but like yeah so like there is like so it was the impulse to like hey we know we're gonna frame this thing as not being the result of an, a moral and intellectual failure but as the result of like a personal biological you know not uh, malady mal you know malady is the right word something you can't control something that you know is something that you can work on and it's just it's a disease like any other unfortunately our paradigm our, our current health paradigm is one that again is kind of influenced with, by neoliberalism and capitalism and all those other good things and so we see it become not so much a a conversation about like how you as a person is engaging with the environment that may or may not be geared towards happiness or health but how we can make it so that you can exist within this paradigm without you know essentially just exist how you can live without being destroyed by the, the by poverty or by the lack of opportunity right you know it's I, I think back to my conversation with many scholars about uh, medical anthropology about like, hey, there's a difference between like a malady, something that would be something that would be a problem in any context and a maladjustment. And ultimately, we are very maladjusted as a people to the to the demands of capitalism and not just like the work day being so long or the school day being so long, but just the constant anxiety that comes from, you know, stress. You know, the constant anxiety comes from stress. Like, well, you might lose your job. You might lose your house. You might lose this. Like, the precarity that capitalism entails is not one that engenders a good health. <laughs> good health. But I think we should probably call it there. Last thoughts from the boys? Uh, the term I think you were looking for is drapedomania, which is not Drapedomania. Drapedomania. Yeah. Isn't that when you just want to bang? Uh, no, I, I think I'm thinking of pedophilia. Never mind. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's not to be confused with Drake Domania, which is, you know, like uh, dressing in blackface and denying your child existence. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, one of the other things that, or one of the main things that I'm taking away from this conversation is uh, both one, the importance about the, the role that maladjustment to capitalism plays and how there's this parallel or connection between essentially, you know, being anti slavery, being a. a, a or being anti being a slave even is is a mental illness and being anti-capitalist is a mental illness rather than uh, an, an appropriate adaptation towards uh, a, a a very shitty situation <laughs> like and so and then the other thing is just that how the arguments that Warren is making uh, empower that in that it's Going, it's tough for a lot of people that would identify themselves as Democrats, maybe in 2016, and progressives now, or you know, but aren't comfortable with the idea of you know being communists. As you know, Hampton says, if you're afraid of communism, you're afraid of yourself, or socialism, you're afraid of yourself. And so, like, what you have to recognize is that it's not the communists or the far radical left that's trying to force you to choose a side. It's the uh, the the capitalist class already has you on their side, and they don't want to lose you, and they will accuse the the left of anything and everything in order to perpetuate the idea that it's a sickness among the left in a, that they don't want to participate and uh, empower this capitalist system rather than the appropriate reaction to an exploitative system. I think Adair doesn't have any final words, but I would just echo that. Yeah, I mean, I think we see it's very often that, you know, there is there there is this, I think, from the centrist class, the liberal class, this idea that, you know, they agree with 
everything communists say they agree with. They agree with everything the far left for, you know, non non specific far left agree with. They just don't think it's possible or rather they just want it to be possible through the mechanisms of technocratic control that don't require any kind of personal sacrifice or reflection or through some sort of electoral process. And so the idea of mass political movements, the idea of democracy, the idea of, of any kind of uh, direct action becomes kind of taboo under that analysis of both history as, you know, this top down process of the government granting people rights and this and this kind of weird this weird version of society where everything exists in buckets that don't affect one another. Like yes, you can, that you can tackle education without tackling homelessness, that you can tackle uh, the military industrial complex without tackling policing. You can tackle, you know, capitalism without tackling racism. And, you know, until people start recognizing like, Hey, this stuff is connected and not like connected in the fake way people mean intersectional, but connect like, Oh, this stuff is actually, these things have, these things are all part of an underlying culture that we have that we, we're not people don't want to attack because in reality, you know, everyone who's in charge of informing you about the problems in the world have already put these things into black boxes the same way that they've put fucking Buddha gags lying in Warren's 23 and me results into black boxes that can't be touched until someone decides to weaponize them for the wrong things like Kanye West weaponizes, you know, the expectation of black people to fall in line with the Democratic Party for the wrong shit. It, it, you know, it, and until then, we're going to keep doing this. I mean, we're going to be doing this show regardless, but until I meant like the, the other stuff. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to continue bringing you the high quality content that you can only expect from thick black uh, intellectuals. I'm sorry, <laughs> radical black intellectuals. <laughs> Praise the Lord that got in me, who made me spoil with rotten teeth. So I perform the prophecy and on the norm, the plaque of be to be expressing who we are and addressing who they aren't and doing what they can't. And if I can pay my bills, I'm good. I'm coming over, found a message in my brother. Your son is coming up by the bill, by it, by boo. What you already saying? Bop boom, my yaris saying you ain't nothing but a baby, your fear is growing up.